0: And um, we're going to start off with this question. We don't have too much time. Oh, Gabe and Heather got engaged. I put that slide in there, and it scared me. All right, so what's the, what's the largest debt or favor you've ever owed someone? Or what's any, any favor you've ever owed someone or, or debt? or anyone ever owed you. I remember when Tupac died in eighth grade, um, Machiavelli came out. If you, like, if you like, placed the letters, it sp- spells, I am alive. And me and my friend had this bet that if Tupac was really alive, I would owe him 20 bucks. And if he was really dead, he would owe me 20 bucks. And I think we have a way of just remembering what people owe us. Like, I still want his $20. $20 <laughs> isn't that much anymore. You know, I'm not in eighth grade. But I just kind of want to collect my $20 of debt. Anyways, if you owe someone anything or someone owes you something, let's just share about that for like three minutes, and then I'll come back up. (laughs) All right, because of time, I lied. I just give you one minute. Uh, (laughs) Anyone have good mafia or loan shark stories? Because that's what I'm interested in. No? Oh, man. I was really hoping for that. All right, we're going to go into our passage today, uh, Romans chapter 12. Again, every time I want to recap, it says a big therefore in Romans chapter 12, and that's a transition between all that God's done for us, how he's paid our debt, how he sent his son to die in our place, how he gives us righteousness and forgiveness, and now the therefore, in view of God's mercy, right, the summary, the little phrase that summarizes 1 through 11 is supposed to inspire and allow us to live completely differently. Romans, at the end of Romans 12, it talks about forgiveness. And not only forgiving our enemies, but loving them, being kind to them, giving them food and shelter when they need it. And then that almost feels like a juxtaposition to the beginning of chapter 13 where it talks about government. It's almost like it was forced in there. How, how do the two relate? The government, I love the phrase where it says, you know, uh, they don't bear swords for no reason. Oh man, I shut my Bible out. <laughs> it sounds so intimidating, right? And um, what Paul is saying is that as a Christian, we have this personal obligation to forgive and to love our enemies. But the government has a secondary o- obligation or another obligation to punish evil. And the two are actually compatible, meaning if someone wrongs me in a, in a legal way, right, if they slash my tires or throw a brick through my window, I, as a personal Christian, my obligation is to forgive them. But as a, as a citizen, I can still report them to the police and allow the judicial system to take effect. Both are within God's will. But then here he makes another transition and he talks about the legal system in restraining and punishing evil and then he makes this comparison or this, um, he kind of flips the coin and he says the government and its laws are about restraining evil but as a citizen of another kingdom, of this Jesus kingdom, we are not only to follow laws that prevent us from harming others, we're supposed to do good and love our neighbors, which is different, right? As Paul says, you, you can't put love into law. You can't force it. And yet, as we live in this other kingdom, God gives us this commandment to love. So how does that happen? In verse 8, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding, Except the continual debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We're just going to walk through this verse. We don't have that much to tackle today. And uh, I've highlighted the section we're going to talk about. So first, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be indebted to each other in love. You know, again, when we think about the debts that we owe someone or someone owes us, it, it can come up really quickly, especially when we see someone like, oh, my friend Daniel, eighth grade, 20 bucks, Tupac, right? And Paul uses this word quite a bit. Uh, in Romans chapter one, verse 14, he, obligation and debt has the same Greek word. He says we're actually ade- indebted to the people around us, whether Greek or non-Greek, wise or foolish, to share the gospel. So the gospel puts us into debt to those around us. And then in Romans chapter eight, verse 12, he uses the same word. he says, we're indebted." to live by the spirit instead of the flesh. We're indebted to live a holy life because of the spirit of God that indwells us. And here again in Romans chapter 13, he uses the word debt. He says that when we need to have a continual debt for the people around us, that we owe them love. Pay off all your other debts, uh, kind of flowing from this little section about government, right? If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe honor and respect, pay those things off. But allow debt to be ever-continuing and ever-remaining in your hearts. I think that's a really big obligation, that when I look at you, I'm indebted to you. I am to love you. And it's supposed to be a continual debt. And I think about the times in my head, in my mind, where I'm like, man, I'm done with this person. You know, like, (laughs) I've given everything I could, or I've already loved them more than beyond myself, and now I'm just going to cut them out of my lives. I'm done. But Paul says that we are to continue in debt for one another, continue forever to owe each other debt. And so where does this debt come from? It doesn't come from the other person because if it did, I would be able to pay it off. Well, I was really wrestling with this concept of debt to the Lord and the free gift from Him. Like I had a hard time reconciling how the gospel is a free gift, how His love is a free gift, and yet we owe others the gospel and love and we owe holiness to the Lord. I actually, it actually confounded me to a point where I'm like texting all of my, some of my mentors, right? Like, can you explain how debt and free gift are compatible? And I thought about Romans chapter 18. Paul, uh, Jesus uses this parable, and I'm gonna give you, it to you in a contemporary version. So this king, um, he's starting to collect debt from all of his servants, And one of his servants owes him millions of dollars, right? And so he can't pay the king back. And during that time period, if you can't pay um, back your debt, you start selling your families into slavery to earn money so that you can pay off your debt. It'd be like, hey, Liam, I'm sorry, man. Like, I owe this guy $100,000, you're gonna have to sell your cuteness, you know. <laughs> like you have all these roles. You're gonna be like Instagram, like puppet for all these people until I pay back my debt. Um, so, but the king, he has compassion. This guy pleads for mercy, and he has compassion on him. And he says, "You know what? I'm gonna forgive you of your debt. I you don't have you don't owe me a dime after after owing me millions of dollars. I'm cleaning off uh, all of your debt. He walks out. He sees another servant appear who owes him like a minute amount of money, right? It says he grabs him by the throat and demands this money and threatens to throw him into prison. The king hears wind about this wicked servant and he, and he goes to him. He, he calls him and he says, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. This other servant pleads with you. It it uses the same words, right, that he pleads for mercy. And it says, "Um, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. In verse 35, extremely sobering, it says, that is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters, from your heart. Man, we need to forgive people. (laughs) That's, That's serious. I think when Paul refers to this concept of debt, he's saying that the gospel, the enormity of how we found God, how he's pulled us from our sin, from eternal condemnation and brought us into his family by laying out his son on the cross. When we feel the weight of that, when we're humbled by the grace of that, we are compelled, if we really get it, if we really get what the gospel does in our life, giving us sonship and daughtership, bringing us eternal security, we will give that away to everyone else around us when we understand how God has forgiven every evil thought, forgiven our worst sins, has taken our shame and put it on himself, we will forgive everyone else around us. And it it will be easy when we see the cross and the debt that he paid. Or if it's not easy, we will still feel the obligation to do it when we get the cross. And in the same way, Because he first loved us, we are to love as well. We are indebted to love those around us. And and I think what Paul's saying is that this debt, this obligation, is a testament that we really understand his love, his forgiveness in the gospel. That we really get it. You know, the servant understood that his debt was forgiven, But he didn't understand the kind of mercy and grace that was extended. And so it wasn't transforming. And he didn't didn't really receive the true magnitude of what the king was doing. And so he didn't give it away. So if the gospel is cheap, if Jesus' love is cheap, if the spirit feels cheap to us, We aren't, it's not going to transform us, it's not going to cause us to live differently. But if we're humbled by it, if we stand in awe of it again, if we see this God King who comes to earth and says, hey, you deserve the nails, but I'll take it. You deserve the sin, but I'll pay for it. Something deep and transforming happens to us. And us forgiving others, us loving others, us living a holy life is evidence to that. And then he says, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit murder, uh, adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. There's this, there's this concept that all of these laws are summed up by these two laws. And that's what uh, Paul is saying here. Oops, let's see right here. It says it, it, the 400 laws in the Old Testament, the 10 great commandments are kind of a summary of it. It takes all of these 400 laws and it puts it in like cliff note form, right? And then, and then this idea of loving others and loving God is the summary of those 10 commandments. So if you like put the 400 commandments together and you put a plus sign on all of them, right? The sum, the equal sign is loving God and loving others. That is the summary of all these other commandments. But I ho- also hope that you feel the weight of loving God and loving others, that there's a moral code behind it, that it encapsulates, it includes the justice, the mercy, the truth-telling of all of these other commandments, right? Love isn't just this fickle thing like um, emotion or support or unconditional affirmation. No, there's the weight of all of the other commandments um, undergirding this commandment to love. And when we look at the commandments, you could kind of divide it up into two categories. Uh, All of the commandments fall into the category of others, right? Loving others, caring for others, not harming others. Or it falls into the category of loving and worshiping God. And then under these two categories um, are two more categories. The first category is the law. And the law in general speaks in terms of of negatives or what not to do, right? Don't build other idols, don't steal, don't lie. But why love fulfills the law is because love tells us not only what not to do, but it tells us what to do. That's why it fulfills the law. That's why the law is unnecessary when love is in play. Because it goes beyond not harming your neighbor. Instead, it does good to it. So I can't lie to you. If I'm telling the truth to you, I am automatically not lying to you. That's what love does, right? Or if I love you by giving generously, I'm automatically not stealing from you. So love isn't just not harming someone. Love is going beyond that. Is actually doing the opposite of harm, doing good, and that's what God, you know, us to do—to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, this idea of loving our neighbors—I um, think it's a throwback to Jesus when he talks about the great the Samaritan um, on the road. Right, he's walking down a road, he gets jumped, they the robbers. Uh, take everything from him and they beat him to the ground and jesus is answering this jewish man who is my neighbor and he points to this this samaritan and he says everyone else walks away all of these i'm sorry okay let me start this let me start this whole thing over okay so i remember the parable now okay so this man asked jesus this jewish man asked jesus who is my neighbor And this Jew walks down the road, (laughs) and he gets beaten up. Um, He's left for dead. And all of these other Jewish religious leaders walk by him. And if you look at the parable, they're actually walking to worship. They're actually walking to Jerusalem to worship God. And they see this man who's bloodied, and they know, man, if I touch this person and help him, I'll actually be unclean and unable to worship God. So they leave him on the side of the road. Then the Samaritan, huh? He's like an enemy of the Jew, right? They hate each other. The Jews would actually call the Samaritan dogs. They they hated the Samaritans more than any other race because the Samaritan was this blend of the Jewish religion with heathenistic religion. They were like like a Jewish cult, if you will. they, they, the Jews felt like they were constantly blaspheming God. But this Samaritan has compassion on this Jew. He stops for him. He bandages him up. He puts him on his own donkey. He drives him, he, he drives, he walks him to an inn and he says, hey, um, let him stay here. Dr. Ken, do surgery on him. I'll pay you whatever is necessary. I think there's a few things that is being taught in this parable. One is, what is real worship? And the second is, who is my neighbor? You know, we live in a really divided world, and the early Christians felt that too. The language that the Romans uh, were using, or the civilization that, that Paul is talking to, Their language was, if you were a stranger or an enemy, they would call you the same name. Whether they didn't know you and you weren't a part of their tribe, or you were someone who were out to take their life, they used the same name. Out of fear, out of disdain, if you were uh, a Greek and and you spoke about non-Greeks, you would talk to them as your enemy. There was a divide within the sexes where you would call the other sex your enemy a, a divide between the educated and non-educated there is this great chasm between people and their civilization and man when i look at the us i would say we're like a mirror of that right that there's so many people that you can just automatically hate because they're on the other side maybe they're trump supporters maybe they're bernie supporters maybe they're part of the lgbt movement maybe Maybe they want to build a wall, and you just hate them. And right now, Paul is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are your neighbors. And for the early church, they astounded everyone because they gathered around the communion table. They gathered around as a family during dinner, the barbarians and the Jews and, and the Greeks and um, people who are educated and people who are poor Everyone sat around the table, and the world looked at them in awe, but they understood they were family, and they lived out loving your neighbor, not just a man or woman across the street, not just a person in your own tribe or people you connect with easily, but those that you would naturally hate, you now love, Because Christ has loved you, that when you you were his enemy, he laid his life down for you so that you can be family. And when we get that, we do the same for our neighbors. You know, when I think about Renew, I love our community. I'm just going to speak directly just to us. When we look at this passage, here's what comes to mind for us, for our family, all right? We have an amazing community, and if you're not a part of it, jump in, go on Facebook, go rock climbing, go hiking with us, go watch Wonder Woman in Zach form, you know? Like, and, and it's more than the events we hold. I think this idea of four imperfect people only has penetrated into who we are, and I hear that all the time, that we're a community that really loves each other, that, that knows each other's story where you could drop your mask and really be you. And oftentimes, when someone's sharing their pain, there's other people who come around and say, hey, I want to walk with you in it. I don't want you to be alone. I'm going to be with you. And I hope that we don't take that for granted. It's, it's really special for me to see like our preview service of you know 300 people, and I'm like, I am a guest preacher at my own church. I don't know any of these guys, right? And then a year later, to have strangers really become family the way that Erin articulated. And yet, there's, I, I was meeting someone for coffee, and I think we feel this as well. She said, um, I, know, I love Renew's community, and I love how we hear and listen and walk with each other. I love how we hang out all the time, like every day for some of us. But she asked this question, she said, but is that it? And that hit me, is this it? If you're in the middle of the renewed community, I wonder if that's a haunting question for you too. Is this it, us hanging out every day, us sharing meals, us going climbing? I would say that we need to think about our community we, we love it, and yet it, the purpose of it is to fulfill these two commandments. It's to say, hey, when we come together, are we loving God more? When we come together, are, are we loving others more? You know, the idea of fellowship, when we grow up, it's like, let's get in a room and play games and worship and like just be family. But Back then, when Paul uses the word fellowship, he's thinking about it in a military term. It was brothers at arms in the trenches taking over another village, right? It was this advancing. And he says, when you're fellowshipping, you're coming together, there's relationship and family and brotherhood and sisterhood that forms before the purpose of kingdom advancement, for the purpose that other people would know him. And I wonder in our friendships, are we loving God more? And are we loving others more? i it gets to get super practical. I hope that you'll borrow some of these lines. I hope that you'll start being intentional in the way that you guys hang out together and, and, and start pointing each other to Jesus. I think it's so easy to point each other to community, but are we pointing each other to Jesus? Because that's the greatest gift we can give each other. That's the, that's the greatest way we can love each other. And so for me, I, I think... As I sit down with someone and, and I'm intentional, one thing, I there, these are a few things I do, right? I, I lend an ear to my brother or sister to hear their story. And then I lend another ear to the Holy Spirit. I lend another ear to Jesus. You know, Chrissy wrote this amazing line. I, I'm sure she borrowed it maybe or invented it. It says, what is Jesus praying for you right now? Because we know Jesus is our intercessor. And so as I'm sitting down with you, I pray and I'm like, okay, as I'm listening to you, I also want to hear what Jesus is interceding for you as you're struggling or as you're walking through life. And how can I speak that over you, right? Not just my wisdom, not just my empathy, but how can I be a voice for the Spirit into your life? How can I allow you to find Jesus in your journey, right? As you're going through something, how can I show you like, your journey isn't void of Jesus. And let's look for him together as you're sharing different things in your life, as you're go- walking through depression, as you're looking for a job, as, you, as you're talking to me about a girl you like, where's Jesus in it? And I, I hope that you do that for each other, that you would point to Jesus, and that every moment would be a, a moment where you could discover another facet, another texture of Jesus' love. This has been my prayer every day for a while. God, I pray that today I would discover your love. I pray that in this moment I would find your love. And that I would find it not only in the best moments, but in the hardest. And help me, as I sit with Johnny, to help him discover your love in, in when I'm giving him this perfect set and he just slams it, right, on someone. Where's your love there? How can I speak compassionately um, truth into their framework and perspective, as someone's sharing their life with me, is there something that they're believing that is untrue? That is so not loving in our society, right? In our culture, loving is like this unconditional nodding affirmation, like, I'm with you, I empathize, I support you. Okay, let's do that but let's not support someone's lies, right? Let's not support a lie that Satan has spoken over your brother and sister. I've seen that. I've seen people nod at lies. I'm like, no, no, that's a lie. (laughs) Like, do we know the word of God enough? And are we in close enough relationship with each other to compassionately say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but how does that fit into this biblical truth? Like, are you holding on to scripture in this moment? Even when you don't feel like it, even when, when circumstances might be pointing away, how, are you anchoring yourself here? And how is Jesus forming, you know, when I think about uh, maybe the best example are people who serve, whether worship or host team or young adult leadership. I have a lot of, you know, I try to interact with the leaders I'm, I'm, I'm asking God, how is their spirit being formed as they serve you? Because the scary thing is, just because you're leading worship doesn't mean you're becoming more humble. doesn't mean you're actually engaging in a loving relationship with Jesus. You could become more prideful as you lead worship. You could become more arrogant as you're a young adult leader. And so as I see people journey um, in service or in their relationships or in their occupation, I'm like, man, where? how is God forming their soul in that process? These are pretty hardcore questions. But you know, when I think about people saying, hey, Wilson, dude, this church is so authentic. I want to thank you for that. I always say it's not me. Because it's not. I can't make this church authentic. Let me tell you, I've tried to do it in other areas of... Uh, Realms and I I can't do it. I could kind of talk about it. But it's each of you that has made this church a family. It's each of you that has made this church a place where people can have authentic community. But it's also each of you that will help us pivot this community into pointing to Jesus more as we're together. And I also think about how Renew can be a place where we love others. You know, that when we get together, how do we pull our friends who need this community, who need Jesus in? When we're rock climbing, do we have eyes beyond our group? Like, we're the cool kids, right? We brought 30 people there. We kind of own the gym. And everyone else is looking at us like, man, I wish I was in that group. I, I, I love when Jesus walks into a new city, a new village, and he says, behold, the kingdom of God is near. Like, when he shows up, there is now access to this other kingdom, this eternal kingdom where your sins are forgiven, where you're a part of God's family, where you have eternal security in him. And that's my prayer, that when we show up to places that the kingdom of God is near. It's encroaching. There's a crossroad. People can make another decision to follow another God who loves them, who's died for them. And I wonder when we go out, when we do fight club, when we play basketball, when we go on a hike? Are we trying to invite people in to his kingdom as well? You know, at the end of the day, that's our our core value and vision. That's why we exist, right? Our church exists to make follow of Jesus through missional communities that display the gospel through words, life together, and sacrificial love. One of our core values is that we would be a church where every small group is a mission team Every member is a missionary. I hope that we would hold closely to that. You know, when I go uh, play volleyball, I try to think of myself as a missionary to my volleyball crew and um and god's opened some really cool doors but i also also i get intimidated a lot of these some of the guys i play with are older than me more you know like ex-firefighters um some of them are millionaires you know they're like oh i'm gonna buy a two million dollar house here and i'm I'm like oh i'm I'm gonna buy a a a new shoe you know (laughs) like we're, we're both financially stretched yeah and um but I've just been praying, like, God, how can I be a missionary? How can I introduce spiritual conversation where it's not awkward? And so um, I started hanging out with people and saying, they all know I'm a pastor, you know. And I'm like, hey, I'm preaching a sermon on forgiveness. Can you just talk about, like, how hard it's been for you to forgive someone or who, it's, who you have forgiven and so on and so forth? So I just start these conversations, you know. And then the next day, one of the uh, next week, one of the girls, she's like, hey, how was your sermon? And so I dropped... My podcast in this thread. And then she says, OMG, just listened to your sermon on forgiveness, very touching and powerful. It's been great playing with you and getting to know you on the volleyball court. I hope to get to know the Pastor Wilson side of you too. And I said, Oh, thanks, Emily. Really appreciate the encouragement. Um, one of my other friends, I, I saw her and, and we got a talk as a, as a thread. And people just kind of shared their lives, and I dropped my forgiveness sermon on her on our other thread, you know um, And she said, uh, "Just finished listening to your podcast sermon, Wilson, during my boat ride, um, Wow, thanks so much for sharing and the time the timeliness of it all. Your story about Michael was amazing. At the end of the sermon, I prayed along with you to help me forgive um, and I, man, I'm just one guy on the volleyball court, you know? Um, there's another guy who stopped and said, hey, like, my, my wife's going through a surgery, and I just, I know, like, God answers your prayers. Can you just pray for her? And all I want to do is just be a missionary to people where I'm at. I'm one guy. You're 30 people at a rock gym, you know? <laughs> you're 20 people downstairs playing basketball. You're 15 people hanging out at a restaurant. What can you do? How can you be a mission team? And, and when I think about our community, um, and someone's saying, is this it? Us just hanging out every day and having fun. No, it's not. It's not. Love God more. Break out the guitar. Start worshiping. Start praying for the missionaries. Start praying for Kelsey. Just randomly. When Winnie was, had her last week, you guys all stood up and prayed for her after lunch. You know, the basketball team, someone passed away. All of you guys stopped before the game to, to pray for, for their team and people who are grieving. Do that wherever you go, and you'll never get bored of community. You'll never ask, is this it? When someone else gets invited into the family, when someone else... Uh, is loved and joins the table who is different from us but has found Jesus too. You know, the early church, that's what they were known for. Um, And I pray that at Renew we'd be known for that as well. You know, um, again, when people say, hey, Wilson, thanks for building out this authentic community, I know it's not me. I know it's like Patrick and Katie, right, and Lisa, Jonathan, I know it's, um, it's, it's all of you guys, Danielle. And when I hope that people come and say, um, man, your church really points each other to Jesus. Your church is always looking out for neighbors to love them, to bring them in. You guys have defined neighbors way beyond your reach to foster kids. You guys have found neighbors in Iraq and loved them and ministered to them. I want to say that's not me. That's Rachel. That's Kelsey. That's Johnny. That's the eight people who want to go to Royal Kids Camp. That's our community. This morning, I just want you to own this because it's up to you. It's up to you to say, I want to create this culture where we're not just a community, we're a community that points to Jesus and challenges each other to look and be like him. It's up to you to say, I want to look around and ask who's not here, and who can we invite in, and how can wherever we go, we are also a mission team. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for being our savior and inviting us into this beautiful family. I pray that we would love because you first loved us. This morning as we take communion, let, there, let, let it be humbling. Let us feel the debt that you've wiped clean in such an enormous way of scandalous sacrifice. And let us not just stop in receiving, but feel the debtedness to those around us in love, in sharing your gospel, and living a holy life. In Jesus' name. I would love for you guys just to uh, take communion as we go into worship.